But we have been looking at uh, commitments for a reconciliation lifestyle that uh, relates to healthy marriages. And we're going to be looking at six of those. We've seen three thus far, and tonight we're going to see a fourth. I'll remind you of the three that we've seen already. Well, I remind you that two weeks from today we don't meet. And then the first commitment that we saw several weeks ago is we'll give ourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. <coughs> we'll come clean and deal honestly with our sin, weakness, and failure. And if you weren't here for any of these, you missed any of this stuff, the recordings are on our website so you can listen to them. And I'd be happy to get you these notes, these uh, slides as well, so you don't have to furiously write them down. The second one is uh, we will make growth and change our daily agenda. And then we saw a third one, we will work together to build a sturdy bond of trust. And now a fourth commitment for a reconciliation lifestyle. And that is we'll commit to building a relationship of love. That uh, would seem obvious in marriage, that marriage is to be based upon love. And most people agree with that. In fact, I contend that the word love is the most uh, used and abused word in the English language. It's also one of the least understood because it is most often equated with uh, feeling and with, with romance. And so when the feeling's gone, the romance is gone, then the love is gone, and in turn then the relationship and the marriage is gone uh, in the popular mind. So what is then love if we're going to build a relationship of love, what does the Bible define it as? Well, the Bible is very direct about that. In 1 John chapter 4, it says this is love. So you want a definition of love? Here it is. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then it says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now that last, uh, that last sentence, <clears throat> since God so loved us, since God loved us in this way, since God loved us like so, then we also ought to love one another in like manner. So the manner in which God has loved us by sending His Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins is now an example of the kind of love that we're to have for one another. So what does that mean practically? It means that love is cruciform. And that's a combination of two words, meaning cross and in the shape of. So if we want to know what love is, God has given us the supreme example of love that ought to be the model for our love for one another. Christ's love as shown on the cross for us. And our love ought to be cruciform then. That is, love that shapes itself to the cross. Our love ought to be love that shapes itself to the cross. Well, what does the love shown on the cross then tell us? about love, so that we can shape our love for one another to that example. And so I want to give you a full definition of love then. 
It is, if it's going to be cruciform love, cross-like love, it's willing self-sacrifice. For the good of another, that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserved. Now let's, uh, let's go through those components of that fairly quickly. That love is willing. So you guys, okay, love is, you want that again? <laughs> nah, really, have another piece of cake. <laughs> Stacy over here, she's ready to have oh, I didn't get it all down, so I self-sacrifice for the good of another does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. So let's, uh, we'll break that down. Love is, first of all, willing. So contrary to the popular cultural definition of love, feeling, and romance, love is an act of the will. One chooses to love the object of their love. So love is willing and, and then love is, is active because love is willing and it's willing self-sacrifice. So love demonstrates itself by, by what it does on behalf of the one love. And it's sacrifice. Meaning if I, if I love someone else, then I willingly give up sacrifice. I give up something precious to me for the good of that person. So I choose to do this. It's willing, and it's self-sacrificial. I give up what's precious to me for the benefit of the other. And then that's the next component, for the good of another. Now hear this. I can't love someone I don't know. I can't truly, I can't love in this way someone that I don't know. You say, but, you know, we're told to, to love everybody and I don't know everybody. But you know something about everybody. And so, to that extent, you're able to, you're able to uh, love them. And if in a relationship with somebody that you just meet, those things that you know about humanity in general can now be put into action in self-sacrificial love on the part of that person. So love always requires knowing something about someone, and the more we know, the deeper we're able to love. Which means, if I'm going to do what's in the best interest for the good of another, I've got to know that other person and what it is they need. So love, then, has as a prerequisite that I'm communicating and seeking to, to get to know the needs of the other party. So love is willing, it's self-sacrificial, it's for the good of another, and it is not quid pro quo. You say, really? Really? What does that mean? I have no earthly idea. Quid pro quo. It basically means you scratch uh, my back, I'll scratch yours. 
So, you know, it's a 50-50 deal. I'll do my part, you do your part. That's the world's approach to love. A 50-50 relationship, I do my part, you do your part. If you're not doing your part, well then you've broken the bargain. And therefore you have forfeited the right to my love. That is what the world says. But notice, it does not require reciprocation. Now think about the model of love, this cruciform love, love that shapes itself to the model of the cross. Think about the cross. So, so what does Christ get in return? He, he dies on the cross, self-sacrificially, giving up what is precious, his life. The Father gives up the Son in love. And what's what is he getting what is he getting in return? And then the last component is not only it doesn't require reciprocation or that the individual is that the individual is deserving. And again, thinking of the cross. The Bible says in Romans chapter five and verse eight that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So where's the deserving part? So here you have the, the, most, the, the highest example of love on the part of God the Son and God the Father on our behalf, and yet none of us were deserving. So if we're going to have a marriage that is built on a relationship of love, then it's going to be love that looks like that. Okay. That's a churchy definition. I mean, that's what the Bible says. That's the kind of thing you would expect to hear at church from, from a preacher type. But practically speaking, then, what does it look like? If love is all of those things, if love is willing and self-sacrifice and for the good of another and it does not require reciprocation, and it doesn't uh, require that the other individual be deserving, if all of that's true, and it is, well then, practically speaking, in our relationships, what does it look like? And I'd like to take just a few minutes to go through some things that practically, this cruciform love, love that shapes itself to the model of the cross, looks like. Being willing to have your life complicated by the needs and struggles of your spouse without impatience or anger. So if you're gonna if you're gonna play that out in practical everyday living in our marriages, it's gonna look something like that. That it's it's a willingness to have your life complicated by the needs, the struggles of your spouse without impatience or anger. So, ask yourself, am I loving my spouse with a Christ-like love if indeed it means that I am willing to have my life crowded, complicated by their struggles, by their needs, and without being impatient or angry? It's also fighting the temptation to be critical and judgmental. And instead, looking for ways to encourage and praise. Fighting the temptation to be critical and judgmental. Remember, this is for the good of another. So it means, practically, 
I fight that temptation and instead look for ways to praise and encourage. It's a commitment daily to resist the needless moments of conflict that come from pointing out and responding to small stuff, minor offenses. So if you are somebody who nitpicks your spouse, you're not loving them. You're beating them down bit by bit. Minor offense by minor minor offense. Again, the stuff's recorded, so just try to listen and get the gist. And pick out one or eight that you're guilty of. <laughs> If love is all of those things, then it means practically being lovingly honest and humbly approachable in times of misunderstanding. It's being more committed to unity and love than winning or being right. So you always have to win the argument. You always have to have the last word. If so, you're not loving in this Christ-like model. It's a daily commitment to admit your own sin, your weakness, your failure. And resist the temptation to offer excuses and shift the blame. It means being willing when you are confronted by your spouse to examine your own heart rather than rising to your own defense, shifting the focus. It's a daily commitment to grow in love so that the love you offer to your spouse is increasingly selfless, mature, and patient. Just a few more. It's being unwilling to do what's wrong when you've been wrong, but to look for specific ways to overcome, as the Bible says, evil with good. It's being a good student of your spouse. Looking for his or her physical, emotional, spiritual needs so that in some way you can remove whatever burden they have and that they're carrying. So again, you've got to get to know them. To know how to help them and love them. It means being willing to invest the time necessary to discuss and examine, understand the problems that you face as a couple and staying on it until the problem's removed or you've agreed on or you've agreed on a strategy or a, a response. It's being willing to ask forgiveness and always being committed to grant forgiveness when it's requested. It's recognizing the high value of trust in a marriage, being faithful to your promises, true to your word. It's speaking kindly and gently, even in moments of disagreement. You refuse to attack your spouse's character or assault his or her intelligence. It's being unwilling to flatter, to lie, to manipulate, or deceive in any way in order to co-opt your spouse into giving you what you want or doing something your way.
It's being unwilling to ask your spouse to be the source of your identity, your meaning and your purpose, or your inner sense of well-being while refusing to be the source of his or hers. It's a willingness to have less free time, less sleep, and a busier schedule in order to be faithful to what God's called you to be and to do as a husband or wife. Lastly, it's a commitment to say no. Almost lastly. To say no to selfish instincts, do everything that's within your ability to promote real unity, functional understanding, active love in your marriage. And lastly, staying faithful to your commitment to treat your spouse with appreciation, respect, and grace even in moments when he or she doesn't seem to deserve it or is unwilling to reciprocate. Now, the reason we give this is just long list, laundry list, and it could go on. But that's just showing you how you have to tease out a biblical definition of what love is in everyday, everyday life. And if we really want to model Christ-like love, then it's going to mean at least those, those things. Now, in order for that to happen, as you go through that list, if you're sensitive at all, then you you caught at least one or two things that you don't do that you should do or things that you do that you shouldn't. And you recognize that you've had that problem for a long time. You need help with it, don't you? In fact, we started out this series by saying we need more than just skills on how to do things. We need grace. We need God's grace in order to help us to do this. Otherwise, it's impossible for us. So what I'd like to do is just take a moment to ask God to help us. And then we will see Paul's segment on the DVD. Tonight it's 28 minutes worth. And he is on, if you turn in your notebook, page 13, session 6. You can take some notes of the couple of slides that he's going to show that are on page 13 that you can take notes on, all right? Let's ask God to help us to love as Christ has loved us. Father, we thank you for the supreme example of love that you have shown in giving, in giving what is most precious to you, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the love that he has shown for you, God the Father, and for us, those for whom he gave himself. We thank you that we see in Jesus Christ, in his person and work, a concrete example of what real, true love is. You are the very nature of love. And we must get our definition of what love is from you rather than from the culture. We've seen what your word tells us. Thank you for telling us very plainly in your word, this is love. Lord, we don't show that love consistently because of our sin. And we cannot show that love consistently because of our struggle with sin without your aid and without your grace. We thank you that in the demonstration of this highest example of love in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is also found the grace that we need to love. That it is found in the cross, our forgiveness of sin. 
past, present, and future. And it's because of the cross now that you give us the capacity to model your love toward those that you bring into our circle of influence. In particular, our families. In particular, our spouses. And so, Lord, I pray for myself. And I pray for Kimmy. And I pray for each couple here that you would, you would grant us your grace, moment by moment, day by day, to be able to demonstrate the love of Jesus in our relationships. I pray that you will grant us the desire to show Jesus in the way we interact with one another. Thereby, may you be glorified in our marriages. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Page 14 has some discussion questions. We have four minutes. When Pastor Matt, uh, two weeks ago, when I uh, had a bad throat and when the DVD started, I left and he came up after and did the discussion time, I'm told he actually wanted to hear what you had to say. Uh, I don't have time to hear what you have to say. <laughs> and further, <laughs> page 14. <laughs> Ask the question, why does sanctification need to be so difficult? Why does it involve conflict? The, the answer is that, that true righteousness only ever begins when we come to the end of ourselves, because we all come into it with our own agenda. So the reason it's, it's painful, the reason it's difficult, the reason it's involves conflict is because I bring a self-oriented agenda. And God requires that we come to the end of our own agenda, the end of ourselves. And that is of necessity going to require some conflict, a battle, some pain. And then Paul gave on page 13, you have the, the slide there, and you see the contrast between the kingdom of self and the, the kingdom of God. One is a matter of ministry, the other a matter of manipulation. One is indulging yourself, the other one is serving others because you, because you love God. And so page 14 asks, what is the, the kingdom of self? And it's when we're, we're ruled by our own desires, our own needs, our own wants, our own feelings. And as a result, we're driven by manipulation to get what we want. And then the kingdom of God is when we're ruled and characterized by love for God that's shown by loving our neighbor. And then we're driven by ministry as we look to be an instrument in what God is doing in the life of another person. And so that is how we are going to have unity. That is how we are going to have peace in our marriages. You see at the bottom of page 13, Top of page 14, the key points that Paul made in the DVD. So I call your attention to that. And then I encourage you as we leave to... I thought I would have a slide there. That's okay. On page 14, you've got the application. And you've got uh, some things to do between the two of you. And then the uh, further reading. All right? Thanks. We will, Lord willing, see you guys next week.